All right. Good morning, Orangewood. Good morning. Thank you for that worship and focusing on the love of God. That's going to be our focus this morning as well. Uh, And what a privilege it is to look with you into God's holy word. Listen, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. We've been studying it since when? I don't know, Christmas? But we're continuing it here today. And uh, if you remember, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church located in Ephesus, which was the fifth most important city in the Roman Empire in the first century. And it was, a, it was a crucial city because it was a city where the gospel once reached radiated out from there to all the people in the surrounding areas. We happen to live in one of the five most important cities in Florida in the 21st century. We're important. You're important. This is an important church. This is an important city because the gospel radiates out from us as well. And as we continue our series in, in Ephesians, uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, the, the hinge passage in the entire book. We're, we're going to be uh, segueing from the first half of the book to the second half of the book, and it's a prayer that we're going to be looking at together today. So uh, let's first, since we're going to be reading a prayer and studying a prayer, doesn't it make sense that we probably ought to pray? Let's do that. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a joy it is to be able to come into your presence today as your people and to remember who you are, to remember that you are the God who has revealed himself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, and you love us far more than we even comprehend. We say that so often, but Lord, deep in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls, we don't often feel it as much as we should. And so we pray today that your spirit would teach us, that you'd open our our eyes. Truly, as Paul prayed in the first prayer in in, in Ephesians, we pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart, that you would enlighten us, giving us a, a clarity of the riches of the inheritance that are ours in the saints and the surpassing greatness of your power toward those of us who believe. We need you. You know each of us here. You know You know the ones struggling today with the fear of tomorrow with the fear of bills that need to be paid. You see our fears, you hear, and you touch our tears. You know us more than we know ourselves. You know our addictions. You know where we need to be taught. And so now we ask that you would would be here in a powerful way to help us understand your word. So we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite that we might understand your infinite truth. For we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. It's one of my favorite prayers in the New Testament. It's powerful. Here it is. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. It's again the hinge of the first part of the book of Ephesus to the second part. I'll explain what that means. But first of all, let's read this. Where Paul writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit for this reason. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, 
and to know the love of God, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now unto him who was able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Yes, this is a powerful passage. And I'm going to enjoy unpacking it with you today. But first, I want to tell you, a few weeks ago, I was having breakfast on Thursday morning with a couple of the young men after Forge. And uh, we had our Bible study, and then we went to breakfast. I was with uh, Tanner Johnstone and his good buddy, Brandon. We were sitting there talking. Brandon's a philosophy major. And, uh, and so uh, we, we were sitting there talking. Brandon somehow got Tanner to read Dostoevsky. If you've ever read Dostoevsky, you know you read it, and you go, what? And then you read it again, and you go, okay. I think I, and then you read it again, you go, no, I didn't understand it the first time. Powerful, deep. We were in a deep conversation uh, and going back and forth, the three of us around the table. All of a sudden, Tanner stands up, turns around, and there's a lady in back of us at the table, uh, and she's choking. And, uh, and, and, and she doesn't have water or anything. He runs, gets water, stands there, helps her, and she's good. It's great. It was dynamite. You want to know the truth? I didn't even hear her. I didn't hear her choking. Brandon didn't either. I didn't even know what was going on. And that was so good because here's the point. The point is that Tanner's a former Marine, if you know who he is, a great, great young man. And what was trained into him came out of him at the right moment. I love that. I just got a guy I want around him. I want those, I need bodyguards like that. I like guys like that around me. But what was trained into him came out of him at the right moment. And the reality is we're at a point in in this letter, the Apostle Paul uh, writes, where the same thing is about ready to happen as we move from the first part of, of Ephesians to the second part of Ephesians. Because in the first part of Ephesians, he's been teaching us all that has taken place in the Gospels. Chapter 1 through verses 3, 13. The Apostle Paul has been going on and on about the work of Christ. It's a systematic theology. It's wonderful. You can't get better than what goes on in the first part of, of Ephesians. Because in the Gospels, we see what Jesus did, what he taught, and we see his work, right? In the book of Acts, we see how the gospel spreads through the first Christians and imp, 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 um, impacts the world around them. Uh, the work of the apostles. But in the epistles, what we see is how the work of Christ is unpacked at a deeper level. A lot of the new Christians had questions about their salvation. What does it mean? How does it work out? What's supposed to happen now that I'm a Christian? And so what Paul does in most of his letters is he begins to unpack the gospel in its depth. He shows us what happens. In Ephesians 1 through 3, we saw that in the work of Christ, the reality is that our salvation is the work of the triune God. And so it starts out with a, a Trinitarian blessing, doesn't it? And then we see that in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we are absolutely dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead people can't make themselves come back alive again. But God, being rich in mercy, does that for us. And he shows how the gospel gets from out there into here. Uh, how does it... How does the break-in of Christ at Christmas get, get broken into our hearts? Well, that's what Paul is dealing with in the first part of the book of Ephesians. 
He's, he's talking about how the Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ, puts it in us, transforms us, renews us, makes us, causes us to be born again. And then he does that with Jew and Gentiles. He's dealt with that too. Uh, and talks about the unity in the body of Christ. All of that is, is, is the breaking of Christ at Christmas to the breaking of Christ in our hearts. Now, after the text that we're going to look at this morning, uh, in, in the next chapter, we're going to be seeing how the gospel then, once it's broken in us, should break out of us in all kinds of real practical ways, every way you can imagine, family, work, thought life, you name it, Paul deals with it. And so there's a very real sense in which the epistles, almost all of them, have the indicatives of the gospel first and the imperatives of the gospel second. The, the, this is what Christ did. Let's go in deeper in it and look at it. And then because of what the gospel has done in us, how should it flow out of us? The imperatives, the commands. And that's really important, isn't it? Paul, Paul says, uh, and, and James says, faith without works is dead. Paul said in our last text in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, he said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And now when we get to the rest of the book, he's going to be talking about those good works that ought to flow out of us. And that's important, isn't it? Faith and works, the indicatives of the gospel and the imperatives of the gospel, the so what of the gospel. How should we then live? That's how it flows because the gospel makes a difference in our lives. But, but in our prayer right now, what we're going to look at today, Paul wants to, he wants to make doubly sure that we are getting the reality of the gospel in our hearts so that what flows out of us in the imperatives come from a heart that really is enjoying and experiencing the love of God. You caught that we sang about the love of God a lot, a lot today, right? You see, what happens? What ha and I'm, I'm, an, I'm an imperative kind of guy. I like the imperatives. I like the actions. On the, on the strength finder thing, my first thing is activator. Do it. I don't believe anything's real unless you're doing. Go it, you know. Uh, I like the imperatives of the gospel. All right, now I believe in Jesus. What am I supposed to do? But if, if I'm all about do this, do this, do this, what kind of preaching is that going to be? If I'm all about do this, do this, do this, what kind of a father am I going to be? If I'm all about do this, do this, do this, what kind of a husband am I going to be? If we're only settled on the imperatives of what we ought to do, what ought to do, and it's not motivated by the love of God in us, we're going to become what a lot of people criticize us for becoming as Presbyterians, and that is God's frozen chosen. We're going to be all about duty. We're going to be all about getting it done for Jesus, gutting it out. Do it. I tithe because I'm told to tithe. I do good works because I'm supposed to, even though I don't like it much. No. The gospel is that we who are loved flow out. And that's why, 
That's why before, God, before Paul gets to the imperatives in the second half of the book, he takes the time for this prayer because he wants to make sure that you and I are motivated by the love of God in our, in our hearts. So let's take a look at this really quickly and look at the prayer set up in verses 14 through 16. This is the first part. He sets this prayer up. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For what reason? Everything I just said. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And for this reason, Paul prays. Why? Everything we have in the Gospels, chapter one, uh, chapter one through three in the book of, of Ephesians, all that Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's going to tell us how he prays for the Ephesians. By the way, here's the application up front for the whole sermon. You ready for it? This is a great prayer for us to pray too. The application up first. This is a great prayer for us to pray every day. It's one of the prayers I pray uh, for myself almost every day. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father because of what Jesus has done. Now, how did the Jews, let me ask you this quickly. How did the Jews normally pray? Kneeling or standing or laying flat? All of the above. That was a trick question, frankly. But the average way that the average Jew prayed was standing up, right? They, 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 they prayed standing up. That's why we see that situation with Jesus and the Pharisee who was standing on the corner of the scribe. He's telling God how good he is and how much money he's given and all that he's done. And he's standing on the street corner praying, uh, standing with his hands raised. Uh, uh, and, and that was an abusive uh, 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 path. But that's, in fact, uh, what the hypocrites do. But normally, people stood to pray unless something major was going on, something really intense, something urgent, then they would get down on their knees. Ezra, when he was praying for the Israelites upon the return, he got down on his knees. Stephen, in his dying prayer, got down on his knees. Where was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Where was he? How was, what was his posture? He was on his knees. Because as C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters, the, the, the position of our body does affect the condition of our soul. It's true. And when something is really intense, what do you do? My friend uh, went in for cancer surgery last Monday morning. Where was I when I first heard he had cancer? The first thing I did is I went to my knees, not because I'm spiritual, but because he's a good friend of mine and because I really wanted God to hear me. Now, will God hear me standing up? Sure, of course, but, but there's a reality that when, when something is intense, we go to our knees. And Paul, when, you, when we unpack this prayer, I want you to picture Paul on his knees because this is how important that prayer is for the Ephesians and for us. I bow my knees. This is a significant prayer. Uh, and he says, and he, he can only pray to the one, the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. The Father from whom we get our paternity. Because when we accept Christ as Savior and Lord, something radical happens, doesn't it? You are reparented. You have a new father. We have a new name, a new blessing, and a new father. And that's why he prays to God the Father. Now, here is the macro request. You're looking at it in verse 16. This is the macro request, and then we're going to unpack the three elements of, uh, of, the, of the three elements of the micro request. The first element, he says, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. That's the macro request. He says, I pray that you would be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. And, and ladies, don't take offense at that. Uh, he's, he's talking to us as, as a people. He's talking about our inner self. In essence, the reality is we are all weak. I, I, I know that more and more about myself as I get older. We, we try to feign like we're strong, but we're not. We're weak. And where we really gain strain, strength is by uh, being built from the inside out. Larry Crabb's old book, remember that? Inside out. Great book. Great idea. This idea that the gospel does its work from the inside out, not from the outside in. We're not trying to impress people by putting on behavior on the outside. We're, it's the work of Christ in us. We need. Here's the macro prayer, that we would be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. And this would come, this strengthening, this power would come out of the riches of his glory. And that line is very important. I love that. Out of the riches of his glory. Notice, is that that the word? According. Oh, it's not out of. It's what? According to the riches. Now, if I give you, if I take out my wallet, which is in my back pocket, and I give you out of my wallet, what happens? You'll be happier. Some of you. Then some of you are saying you're, you're a minister. No, <laughs> no big deal. Um, but, but the reality is some of you, be ha- but, but once I give it to you, it's what? It's out of my resources. Therefore, diminishing my resources to give to you. And if you need, need some, come up afterwards. I, the kids are gone. They would come up right after and ask me for the bucks right away. But, but the word is according, according to the riches of his glory. It's not out of. Whenever God gives to us, he never is diminished in any way, shape, or form. He gives according to the riches of his glory. And this is such a powerful text for us to keep in mind because as God gives, he gives and he gives and he gives and he never is diminished in any way. Why? Because he's infinite. And, and so Paul's prayer here, the prayer setup is that we would be strengthened by his spirit out of the riches of God's glorious nature uh, in the inner man. Now, there's three aspects of it that are absolutely powerful. The first one, uh, the prayer's focus. Here's the micro request, three requests that he prays. First of all, uh, that Jesus would remain real to us, that love would remain core to us, and that God remains the one who fills us. Let me unpack those real quickly for you because this is great. So he prays, first of all, that Jesus remains real to us, and that's verse 17a, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the prayer is that, that these Ephesian Christians, and by derivative, you and I, would be experiencing the reality of Jesus, that Jesus will remain real to us. That's why he prays that, that, that in verse 17a, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's a bit confusing because, wait a minute, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, doesn't the Holy Spirit come to dwell in you right away? Yes, right away. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're baptized into Christ by the Spirit. The the Spirit of God comes to live in our hearts. Some of you felt that when you accepted Christ, and some of you didn't feel it, but 
It was a spiritual reality. And, and so uh, the question is, if the Spirit of God is in us, if Christ is in us through the Spirit, then why do we need to pray that Christ uh, may dwell in our hearts through faith? Well, the reality is, is what life does to us makes us lose that sense of the nearness of Christ in our hearts. When I first, I accepted Christ when I was eight. I'll never forget it. My mom hauled me off the street, said, come on, I was skating, skateboarding, doing all kinds. I was, yeah, they had skateboards back then. But anyway, she had me, she, and she, I don't know, the Spirit of God just said, now's the time. She hauled me off the, the sidewalk and said, come in. She shared the gospel with me, and I prayed, and I received Christ. Then I went back out and skateboarded some more. I knew it was real. I, I just, I was, I was an eight-year-old kid. I'd been raised in the church. She'd, but it really didn't get as real to me until my, la, my last year in high school. And then in college, I went to Biola College in Southern California, a great Bible teaching college. And, 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 and I grew, started really growing in my faith. And I remember driving to school one day, you know, my cup of coffee and Jesus Right over, and it was so real. It was so real. This is me and Jesus. Sometimes I'd be in conversations with Jesus. It's embarrassing when other people are around and you're talking out loud. I did that in the airport once, but I had one of those earbuds in my ear and somebody was talking to me. I nod, sorry, I'm on the phone. But back then, I, they didn't have that. But life, life's trials, life's difficulties, Oh, my goodness. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Jesus, Jesus ceases to feel, feel as close. And yet that's absolutely crucial for our Christian life. That we know it and that we feel it. And on those days when I don't know it or I don't feel it, I do need to know it. That he's there, that he's in me, that he hasn't left but it's absolutely crucial to our lives. And that's why the apostle prays that Christ would, would, would dwell in our hearts through faith, that Jesus would be real to us. This is so important because for so many Christians living their Christian life day in and day out, Christ is not real to them at work, at, at the beginning of every day. And when, when I understand that he's real to me, and by the way, that Christ may dwell, the word dwell there is a word for permanent dwelling, not a temporary dwelling. It's more like a real house versus a tent. He wants us to really know that he is living and dwelling in us. And that's, boy, I tell you, John 15, four and five, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you, what? Abide in me. Most of us have existential experiences where Jesus is so real to us, in and out. Uh, when I've been in Israel, a couple of times in Israel, I've had that same feeling. I've, I bet you Jesus was not too far from here. Um, and Felipe and I are going to be able to talk to anybody who wants to go back there on this tour, the Footsteps of the Apostles tour. It's great. You can have some of those moments where you go, whoa. But because of spiritual dryness, Paul wants us to experience Jesus all the time. 
And, and when Jesus is real to us, I want you to know it changes, it, it changes everything. It, here's, here's the application of this for me. It helps me remember who I am. It helps me remember if Jesus is real to me as I'm walking down the street, as I'm driving in a car, as I'm interacting with people, that my identity is found by Jesus. I am now God's deeply beloved son because of Jesus. And Jesus shapes my identity. If Jesus is real to me, it keeps my identity flowing straight. And trust me in this, everything goes back to identity. Don't let people get into your head. Don't let them get into your identity. Well, but that's where Satan goes every day. You haven't achieved enough. You haven't done enough. You're not good enough. Oh man, I struggle with that every day. And so by understanding this prayer that Jesus is real to me, it shapes my identity and it shapes your identity. Uh, And I am what I am because of Jesus and what he's done in my life. Saturday morning, I woke up at 2 a.m. Yesterday morning, I woke up at 2 a.m. I've been thinking about this text. And uh, I woke up with an old hymn on my mind. Some of you will remember it. It came out about the time of the Apostle Paul. Uh, but I woke, it was 2 a.m. And I went away. I don't like waking up at 2 a.m. But here it was. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his grace. That's why Paul wants us to pray this prayer. That's why he prayed it for the Ephesians, that Jesus would remain real to us. Because if I'm going to start doing the imperatives at the end of the book, but Jesus isn't real to me, I'm going to get mean and nasty, and I'm going to get very self-righteous, and I'm going to be very much like the older brother, because I'm going to be better than you, because it's going to be competition. But if Jesus is in me, then it's going to keep the the imperatives flowing in the right way. The second thing he prays is not only that Jesus would remain real to us, but that love would remain core to us. Don't miss this. Verse 17b through 19a. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses what? comprehension, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God. That's the last point. But Paul is praying for this supernatural relationship that we would have with God, where we would know that we are loved. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you know that God loves you? 100%, right? Because the Bible, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We know this. This is, but the reality is, is to get it from, from gnosis, I know this, to epignosis, to real experience in our life. Not just to know something as, as an intellectual fact, a theological reality, but to know it as an experiential reality. That's what he's praying about here. That we would know the love of Christ. And, and it's, it's, it's beyond, uh, comprehension fully, but to know it so much that it becomes an animating process in our life, that we are deeply beloved people, and that that is truer in our, in our life. We need to live loved, not lived tolerated. <laughs> and a lot of us say, well, God kind of puts up with me. He has to. He's God. You know, God, you know, he loves me. I don't think he likes me. Are you kidding? He likes you. He loves you. 
And he uses these two metaphors that you being rooted and grounded. One's an architectural and one's, a, one's uh, from agriculture, rooted and grounded. Uh, and, and he wants us to understand that these terms are so important. I grew up in California and uh, we had earthquakes. I remember my bed rolling away from a wall one time on a hardwood floor because of an earthquake. I remember the Santa Ana winds. Some of you have been out there. You've seen them. You know them. I remember coming out as a youth pastor. My door, during the Santa Ana winds, blew the door right off the hinges. Rooted and grounded. Um, These are important. To know that the foundation under us will not be rocked. To know that God will not let you go. Cannot let you go. That he is... How, how, do we, how do we understand that we are loved? This is a supernatural thing. I believe that a lot of the whole process of sanctification is uh, undoing the, 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 the tapes, the memories uh, of what happened to us in the past and what people have said to us in the past and our failings of the past, undoing those so that we get the, the spiritual receptors of the here and now knowing that I am a deeply beloved, redeemed son of the Most High God and you are deeply redu- beloved daughters of the Most High God, to know that we are deeply loved, that love would remain real to us. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Then what's the command? Abide in my commands. Do all these things. No, he says, abide in my love. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. You see, this, this is true that we can only love once we've been loved. And the imperatives and obedience that comes out of my life in following Christ comes from being loved. I flip the Westminster Confession of Faith Shorter Catechism when it comes to my personal life's uh, mission statement. The Shorter Catechism, question one, is what? You remember it? Uh, What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Biblical, great, wonderful. But I flipped it (laughs) because, you see, I won't want to glorify him unless I know that I'm loved by him. So my chief mission in life is to enjoy God as Father and then glorify Him. Love precedes all. The work of Christ came out of love. He came because He loved. He didn't say, obey me and I will love you. Jesus saved us and revealed God's love for us, and that's what motivates us. And so it's so important for us to understand this. Uh, when What does Dr. Phil say? Hurt people... Hurt people. So this is sort of a Dr. Philism. Loved people do what? Love God and others. So Paul prays. Paul prays that the love of God would be real to us. And we would understand its many dimensions as we think about our life. I've come to see that my responsibility in the morning when I get up is to remember, uh, first and foremost, that, that Jesus is in me. Secondly, who I am in Jesus. 
And I better not go out love, unless I'm first loved or I'm not going to love. I'm going to be trying to find love. Thirdly, notice what he prays. He prays that God remains the one who fills us. Verse 19b, that you may be filled up to all the what? The fullness of God. So he prays that Jesus would be made, that we'd be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love, and that God would be the one that would fill us. That's wonderful because what does life do? By the end of the day, by four or five in the afternoon, early evening, how do you feel? If you're like me, you feel a little bit empty, a little bit drained, not near as energized as you started. If you're a mother, you know what I'm talking about. It happened at about noon, 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if you got little ones around. The reality is, is that life sucks life out of us. And we have to be filled to keep going. And so what we do, what we run to, are those things that will fill us. All idols, all, all sins <laughs> are attractive things that draw me, that offer me to be filled back up. And what God is saying, listen, don't run after those things because they only lead to addictions. They only lead to self-destruction. You want to be filled up. I understand that because life takes so much out of you. But come back to me. And that's why this prayer is so important for us every day of our life because we get thirsty, hungry, empty. Uh, and, uh, and we need to be filled up. My wife has this sign on one of the walls in our house. She said, happy people are not grateful people. Grateful people are happy people. And I think that's true. This is how grace works. This is how the love of God works. And so this prayer is a powerful prayer that Jesus would remain real to us, that love would remain core to us, and that God would be the one to fill us. Now, now if you... You're sitting back and you're saying, I've been following Jesus a lot, a long time. The question is, can this happen? Is this possible? Academically, we say what? Is this kind of a prayer possible? Is it possible to live this way? You go, you're trying to trip me up. I know. Some of you are, going, some of you are shaking your heads. Some of you are going like this. Some of you are saying, I ain't answering. He's going to trip me up, throw me under the bus. No. Is this possible? Okay, let me put it out there. Would Paul pray it if it wasn't possible? Yeah, of course it's possible. Of course it's possible. And that's why he ends with these next two verses that I have used for years as a benediction until I taught it in context. Now unto him, I say this all the time. I might say it today if I remember to say it at the very end of the service. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Great benediction, isn't it? It's not just a benediction. It's the substantiation that this prayer is possible. That's what it is. And when I saw that, it changed everything. And I said, I'm going to start praying this. And this changes everything. And that's why what happened at Christmas was the great break-in. 
What we saw in Ephesians 1 through 3 was the great break-in of Christ into our hearts. What we're going to see starting next week is how the, the, the truth of Christ breaks out into commands and in good works for our everyday life. Wonderful, but it's got to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, we are able to do this. And so I encourage you to go back and read Ephesians 1 through 3. I encourage you to pray this prayer. And you say, how often? Well, well, uh, how often do you want Jesus to feel real to you? How often do you want to come back to the love of God that you are not only loved unconditionally, but liked as well? That's pretty amazing. How often do you want to feel that? Pray it as often as you want to feel and experience the living God in your life. This, this is what the true Christian life ought to be. The great theologian Karl Barth, and, and I need to say that he was great to some people. It wasn't great to me. I, I, I've only read a little bit of his Ephesians commentary. I, I haven't read his, Rod, how many, how many books, 20 dogmatic theology I, I didn't read it. I didn't even read the English version. Um, but he wrote a lot. He was a brain. And one day somebody came to him and said, Dr. Barth, tell me of all that great learning, of everything that you picked up, what, what is the most important truth that I could take away? Boil it down for me. What is it? And he looked at them and probably in German, said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And that is the gospel. It is the root of the gospel. It is the life of gospel people. It's how he who broke in breaks out. You take it to heart. And so will I. Let's pray. Holy God, we know so much about you, but Father, dear Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would break into our hearts. That we would know you as you want to be known. And that by your spirit, you would give us the spiritual receptors to live our life as loved people. So energize us by your good news. So energize us by grace. So energize us by your love that no one, no one that we face this week can tear us away from our true identity in Christ. And we commit this time, and these words to you as we pray in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen.